Take your Bibles and turn to the first page. I mean, past the contents and uh, translation explanations and title pages. Genesis 1, 1 and 2. We're starting our new uh, series, Beginnings, uh, Genesis. We're in Genesis for the next six months. Uh, two quarters in Genesis, and then we jump to Acts. So for the next year, our series title is going to be Beginnings. Uh, we're looking at the beginnings of everything, really, in Genesis, and then we will jump to the beginning of the church in Acts. Uh, if, if I had only known that we were starting Genesis this year, or this December, I wouldn't have preached the, the Christmas series that I did last year that was the first three chapters of Genesis. I'd have just waited till this year, but I didn't know. Uh, and then it turns out that, at least today, I'm not preaching last year's sermon anyway. I'm doing something different, so uh, I guess it all worked out in God's sovereignty. He knows what's going on, whether I do or not, and that is something to be thankful for. Uh, yeah, <laughs> careful now. Don't make it personal. Genesis chapter 1, our memory verse is easy this, uh, this quarter. Uh, Genesis one twenty seven. we should be able to memorize this fairly well, except those of us who memorized it in a different translation, that's where it gets difficult, right? You get, oh, that's not the word they used. Uh, this one's not, maybe not too far out there. We'll see. All right, let's say it together. It's all written right there so we can handle it. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. That is actually in this week's passage, but I'm going to touch on that more next week uh, in next week's sermon, uh, not in this week's. So to go, if I were titling, if I, if I were doing last year's series this year, where I talked about uh, gifts, uh, the gift of creation, the gift of, I've forgotten what all, um, relationship, provision, salvation. Some of that we're going to cover again. But if I were titling this morning's message based on last year, I would have called it the gift of order. But every sermon, at least through Genesis, I don't know about Acts, but through Genesis, is going to have the beginning of as the title, the beginning of something. Now, as we move through it, some of those are going to be, you're going to think, well, Michael, that's not the first time this happened, and, and you'll probably be right. Uh, generally, though, it's going to be the first time that the Bible makes a big deal about it, like the first time there's a story about it, the first time there's a, an application, a major application from it. So that's kind of what we're going to be doing as we move through. Uh, sometimes it's going to be, I, I, I try to be careful not to shoehorn things into a title, um, sometimes I may even have to go back and change some things that I've sort of projected out for the quarter, or for the two quarters, actually. Um, but that's going to be the idea of, of the sermons, the beginning of something, the first time, or the, the beginning of a process, or the beginning of a, of a, um, a people, or, or a situation, or an understanding of God that we didn't have prior to that passage. This morning... We're looking at the beginning of order. Now, we're also talking about the beginning of the universe, but that's, that's not the focus. Um, I'm not even 100% certain that's the absolute focus of the passage itself. We're going to talk about that uh, a little bit as we move through it. But the first thing we have to do, I think, this morning is we need to remove any idea of coming to Genesis, the first chapter of Genesis, and proving or disproving any idea, any theory, any uh, description of the beginning of the universe. Don't come to Genesis and say, I have to use this chapter to either prove what I think about the beginning of the universe or disprove what other people think about the beginning of the universe. We need to 
do that because that was not the intention of the text. God was not writing to uh, Moses and the people of Israel, or talking to Moses and writing to the people of Israel to explain to them how the world started. He was writing to say something else. He wasn't writing against evolution. He wasn't writing against atheism. Truthfully, he was writing against polytheism primarily. He was correcting what everybody else thought about how things came to be. And really not even the how, much more the why. But I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, so let me, let me back up just a little bit. Let's always, always when we come to the Bible, the first thing we ask is, what is the text saying? You cannot help but bring your preconceived notions, your, your preconceived ideas, your, your own culture, your own heritage. You can't help but bring that to the Scripture when you read it. But as much as you can, you've got to put that aside and say, what is Scripture saying? And then that should create my culture. That should create my notions. And, 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 and folks, we just don't realize how much we project onto the biblical text when we read it. We read a text and we think, maybe not even the, in these explicit terms, but you think, but I'll, I believe this, so, and I know this scripture proves that. And it may not saying it doesn't. I'm just saying that's not where we begin. So, Genesis 1 is not trying to give any sort of explanation of science to the origins of the universe. That is not the purpose. We, we know from our own study of history, their understanding of science was extremely basic. And God's not trying to correct that. He's not trying to tell them, look, y'all, you think that this happened in a certain way. Let me tell you how I brought the molecules together. And I did. That's, that's not the purpose here. We, we want to get to the purpose of the text and let other places, other places in Scripture speak to those, some of those other ideas that we might have. All right. Moses is writing to the Israelites. Okay, Remember, Moses is not there at creation. Nobody was there at creation, obviously. Why? They hadn't been created yet. So this isn't an eyewitness account. This isn't Moses writing down what he saw happen when he was there. He's not that old. He is writing what God tells him, however many hundreds or thousands or millions or whatever of years... Since it happened, it's, he's, he's writing then. He's writing then to a people, a group of people. Very likely, they are uh, the, the Israelites. They are in there wandering after they have been brought out of Egypt. And he is teaching them. So that's his audience. We're his audience too. But his first audience was the people of Israel brought out of Egypt. And what did they need to know at that time as they wander in the desert, as they grumble and complain about how good everything was in the good old days when they were slaves and how horrible it is now, how they look off into a distance the distance, and they see the promised land. They know it's just right over there, and they're right in here just making circles for no apparent reason. They needed order and purpose in their lives, and God reassures them of that order and purpose by telling them, y'all, I brought order out of extreme chaos. I can handle your little, your little wandering right now. Not uh, primarily because he put them in the wandering, right? He's, you're, you're there because I put you. I've got this. The truth is, we're not much different, are we? In our wandering, 
in our chasing our tails, in our, our disobedience that puts us into that wandering. We look at the lives sometimes that we have created around us, and we think, Lord, have mercy, what a mess. And we wonder if there is any way that we can get out of this mess. And, and half the time, maybe more, the answer is no, we can't. And maybe we're there because God put us there for a reason. But regardless, we, like the Israelites, need to know that our God is a God of order and purpose. So we come back to Genesis. We also, you can go back to the title screen, Pat. I haven't done the, the, the big idea yet. Uh, also, we remove the idea, we need to remove the idea of God creating and then stopping. That, that's what we, wait, what we have in mind is that he rested on the third day. And if you remember last year's sermon, I told you uh, on the, I think it was the third sermon, uh, the provision of, of rest, we, God didn't, uh, it doesn't mean he napped, it doesn't mean he slept, he, it means he stopped his work, he, he completed the work of creation, and he did of what he was doing in those six days, but he hasn't stopped ordering. He stopped creating, but he hasn't stopped ordering. One theologian put it this way, is the, if the cosmos were a symphony, we have in mind that God's the conductor, directing him. Do, 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 do. And then when, we, when he cuts off the music's done, it's over, it's whatever. In fact, God would be the music, not merely the conductor. If you took away the music from the orchestra, the orchestra would not only not have purpose, it would very likely cease to exist. It would have no reason for being. If you removed God from creation, if you removed the conductor from the creation, there wouldn't just be chaos because he is not just the conductor of it, he is the reason for it. If you remove God from creation, creation ceases to exist. It's what uh, New Testament writers would, when they said he holds everything in his hand. He's got it all, we sing, he's got the whole world in his hands, and that's only because universe doesn't fit the, the rhythm very well. God's got it all. So if he lets go... It's not just, ah, chaos, it's, ah, obliteration, ceasing to exist. Our big idea today that we need to get is God is purposeful and deliberate in bringing order to his creation. You can go ahead. There we go. God is purposeful and deliberate in bringing order to his creation. There's a plan. There's a reason. Notice it's intentional that I put a present tense verb in the big idea this morning. God was, it's not that God was purposeful and deliberate in bringing order to his creation. God is today, at this moment, God is still purposeful and deliberate, and he is also still bringing order to his creation. That is what Genesis 1 tells us. We are going to focus on Genesis 1, 1 through 2. A couple of quotes for you that, that kind of get us ready for this. Uh, one theologian, H.C. Bricto, I think maybe is how he pronounces this, said, the God of creation is the guarantee of order the repudiation of accident or chance. So it's not just that he created and stepped back. There's a, there's a word for that. We call that deism. It means uh, deity, mean deism, the de part is, is God. And, and the idea behind deism is that God wound up the cosmological clock and then let go and stepped back. 
That's what many of our founding fathers believed. Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson uh, among them. No longer does he uh, do anything in his creation. He started it. Natural laws, uh, weather patterns, all that stuff. There it is. All right. Y'all do the best you can. That, that's not what happens. He is the, the guarantee. He, he's the, the author of the creation, but he's also the guarantee that it continues. There's no accident. There's no chance. There's no probability. There is God. Another uh, way to look at it from Howard Van Til, a biblical theology of God as creator identifies him as originator, preserver, governor and provider so he started it he keeps it going he preserves it he's in charge of it and he gives everything that it needs of the creation so those are some ideas we want to keep in mind as we move through the passage this morning very short passage genesis 1 1 and 2 in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Dividing these two verses into preparation and, I forgot my other word, organization, and then I couldn't read my handwriting. Preparation in verse 1, organization in verse 2. God prepares, and then he organizes. The passage starts off, in the beginning. In the beginning. If there is a beginning, then that necessitates an end. There's a beginning, there's an end. And if there's an end, there's a middle. So there's a, there's a story. There's, there's, it's linear. There's, there's completion. There, there are, if God is the author and the originator, if, if he is the preserver and the governor, if there is no accident or chance, then if there's a beginning and a middle and an end, then inherent among those from the, the perspective of God is, is purpose and goal. He's not, he's not the, the God of deism. He didn't wind up the clock and step back. There's purpose. There's goal. There's not chance. There's a, 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 a view of God's understanding called open theism, which means that God is open to an unknown future. It's maybe a good way to remember it. But what that means is God doesn't know what's going to happen in this next minute, this next hour, or tomorrow. He doesn't know the future. He could predict. He's he's not dumb. He he, he could predict some things. He could set some things up to occur in a certain way, but he can't know that that's going to happen. I completely disagree with that. that. I think that is absolutely unbiblical. But What's odd is the people that hold to that, some of them are very orthodox believers. That, I mean, they, would, they literally sign a statement that says they are inerrantists. They're Trinitarian, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and they are inerrantists when it comes to Scripture, and yet they have this uh, idea of God not knowing the future. And if God doesn't know the future, though then how do we have purpose and goals? I mean, we can have plans, we can have maybes, we can have hopes, but then he's open to accident or, uh, or chance. He's not the preserver and the governor that, that we believe him to be. So if, if there's beginning and end, if he, if he started it and he knows the ends, which, which I believe he does, I believe the scripture makes that clear, then he has these goals and he has this purpose. Now, maybe you've never read in the beginning and thought, the beginning of what? But it's not a wrong question to ask. What was Moses talking about here? What was God telling Moses to record? What was his purpose of 
using the phrase, in the beginning. Well, it's not the beginning of God, is it? The answer is no. God's timeless. God is completely outside of time. God created time. Well, what does that mean? I don't know. It means he lives on some different dimension in some other realm in some way that we can't understand. What does that mean? I don't know. I just know that he's God and outside of me and outside of everything else and he created everything, therefore he is bigger than it. So when it says in the beginning, obviously we're not talking about the beginning of God. But we're also not talking about the beginning of created things. Because the angels existed before the earth did, as far as we understand, scripturally. And God created the angels. And, and wherever God is, he created that, we assume. So God existed before all this other stuff, and, and all this other stuff existed before the earth. So we're not talking about the beginning of God. We're not talking about his, the beginning of his creative activity, because while you may never have thought about it before, he created things before he created the earth. But what it is the beginning of, and you're going to say, well, duh, Michael, that's why I never thought about this more than what you're about to say, because it's obvious. It is the beginning of our universe. But I think more importantly, it is the beginning of salvation's plan. It's beginning, uh, the beginning of order. Remember, He's writing to, he's telling a people whose lives are extremely chaotic right now that I am in charge of everything. They probably weren't asking the question when, as they walked through the desert and saw a camel and then saw a horse. They weren't going, well, I wonder if that somehow came from that. They weren't questioning evolutionary biology. They weren't questioning, uh, thinking about natural selection and, and biological change. That wasn't the question in their mind. The question in their mind is, why don't we have enough to eat? Because we did in Egypt. Why don't we have water when we need it? Because it was fine in Egypt. Why are we here when we were told we were going to the promised land? Those were the questions they were asking. So God didn't come to them and say, you know, I created whales. Thanks, God. I, I just thought of this. I know most of y'all probably don't watch Saturday Night Live. Um, and I don't either. I'm, I'm in bed. Um, but a few weeks ago, uh, it, just, just so I know I'm not talking around everybody, how many of y'all know who the comedian Nate Bargatze is? You're familiar with, uh, okay, five of you, good job. Um, okay, so for the rest of you, there's a comedian named Nate Bargatze, and he's hilarious. He's, he's the son of a Southern Baptist preacher, or Southern Baptist evangelist. Um, he's extremely clean now. I don't know what he was when he was getting his start, but now it's, it's all clean. Um, and he's really popular, and he was on Saturday Night Live, and they did a skit where he was George Washington, and they were asking him questions in the, uh, during the Revolution. So what is all this freedom going to mean for us? And the, the whole funny part was he talks about how we're going to use miles instead of kilometers, and we're not going to know how many feet are in, I mean, how many yards are in a mile, and we're going to use, everybody else is going to use liters. No, we're going to use gallons. Uh, we're going to use quartz. Well, how many liters? Nobody knows. You know, it's, it's, just, it's just really funny. What's interesting, though, the, the, the most poignant part of it is there's uh, um, uh, Kenan Thompson, I think is his last name, uh, one of the black actors on Saturday Night Live, and he says, well, what about for people of, of color like me? So miles are going to be, just completely ignores the question. And then, then a few minutes late, a couple of minutes later, it's yes, but will will we be a part of will will people of color? I understand you're asking about temperature. No, no, I'm not. Temperature will be in Fahrenheit, and, and he goes off. Okay, the point is, the comedian was not answering the question that was being asked. Let's flip it. The Israelites weren't asking, where did sharks come from? 
Why do uh, cats and dogs look different? Why, why are there apes and, uh, with tails or without tails and monkeys have tails? They weren't asking those questions. And so God was not answering that question. He wasn't telling, you know, they weren't asking God, when are we, we going to get out of this into the promised land? And God says, let me tell you how I created mice. That wasn't their need, okay? See, there was a point to that story, and y'all need to watch Nate Bargatze. He's funny. He's got a Netflix special. So, if he's not answering those questions, if they're not asking those questions, and we're talking about the beginning, in the beginning God created, in the beginning, in the beginning of what? Well, there's also this kind of idea. We want to make this... In the beginning, that moment that God started his process, he did it, and then there was these days, and then he was done. And in fact, in the beginning could be a period of time rather than a point in time. Michael, that's not true. Well, what does John 1, 1 say? In the beginning was the word. Hmm. Well, that, who's that word? Jesus. Did Jesus have a beginning? Not the second person of the Trinity. The Son did not have a beginning. So when John says in the beginning, and in his Greek word for beginning is the same word that's used to translate the Hebrew word in Genesis 1, beginning. It's the same Greek word to Hebrew translation. So it's possible that God was saying, look, back when I started all of this, why does that matter? Because they weren't asking the question, God, how old is the universe? So he wasn't telling them that day, however many thousands or millions or billions of years ago, he wasn't talking about that. It was, pardon this analogy, it was the old man sitting in the chair, well, back when I was a kid. What does that mean? Were you three? Were you 15? What? You know, it, it, it didn't matter. It was, it's, it's the point of the story. Let me tell you about what was going on. God says exactly how and when. That's what, not what you need to know. The people were asking who and why. Who is going to take care of us and why are we in the situation we are in now? And, and maybe a little bit of how, not how was that, but how about now? They're asking the question of purpose rather than structure. Or at least that is the question God is answering. What is the purpose of my creative act? Not what was the structure of my creative act. So that's why. I say this morning, we're talking about the beginning of order. Not to imply that there was no order before in the beginning, because there was. There was order in heaven. God is a God of order. This is not the beginning of all of order everywhere in known and unknown realms and dimensions. We're not, no, we're talking about the beginning of our order. As people in this universe who worships this God, reading this, his word, we look back to what he did in the beginning and we say, we can trust him with our chaos today because of what he did with the chaos then. In the beginning, God created no room for question here of who is doing the work. Now, you've probably heard the phrase at some point down through the years, ex nihilo, from nothing. Creation from nothing. This word created does not require that ending, that idea. As a matter of fact, throughout the Old Testament, this uh, uh, word bara that is used through, throughout the Old Testament 
is used in most places to describe a rearranging or a restoration. It can mean from nothing, but that's not the most common usage. It usually has to do with doing something new. Um, and there can be all sorts of objects of that verb. Paul, uh, rather, uh, David said, create in me a new heart. Now, was David expecting a heart transplant? You know, God, I know you created everything, but could you create from nothing a brand new heart and put it in me? No, it's, it's renew my heart. Because what's the second part of that phrase? Create me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Create and renew are parallel. It's taking what was old and doing something new with it. That is the most common use of that, uh, uh, that word. Now, well, is Michael saying that created matter was around when God was around? That it, they're, they were both co-eternal and co-exist? No. No, I'm just saying Genesis doesn't tell us creation from nothing. There are actually plenty of other verses. I think Colossians chapter 4, if I remember correctly is a great verse for creation from nothing. There are other scriptures that explicitly state creation from nothing. It's only implicit here, but that's because that's not the point. God's not trying to tell them, hey, there was nothing and I created everything. But we'll get there. Now, Elohim is the word for God here. This is, we're familiar with Yahweh, probably more familiar with Yahweh. Um, Elohim is used here because the focus isn't on the covenant. Yahweh is the covenant name. That's how Israel knew God because of their relationship. He is Elohim has now become Yahweh to us because of the relationship. Elohim, though, is a, a, a name for God that communicates transcendence and power. So what this says to the people, remember the questions he's answering. Why are, are they, uh, what are some issues they're facing? Well, polytheism is everywhere. Multiple gods, the worship of multiple gods. There are creation stories. There are flood stories in every culture, which points to the reality of a creation story and a flood story. They, everybody knew it was back there. People just explained it in different ways. God is telling them, telling Israelites, he's saying nope to any other gods existing. Because in the, the old, it's called cosmogony, the beginning of the cosmos, cosmogony, cosmos, universe, cosmos, cosma, cosmos, gen, G-E-N, genesis, beginning, cosmogony, beginning of the cosmos. Most of those began with some fight among gods. Uh, one of the uh, more popular ones was that the water is a god, and the god got killed, goddess actually, got killed by the creator god, and the water now is her body. They're just laying out there. I mean, great stuff. God's saying, no, 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 no. See, see, I created everything. I, this, is, this is all me. I, there was no fight. There was no argument. I am the God of power and transcendence. God created. Now, what we do know about Barah, let's go back to that verb for just a second. It can mean rearrange or renew or all this stuff, but you know what? Though it has many objects do you know what subject it only appears with? God. God is the only one that barahs. So regardless of whether it is from nothing or it's making something new, only God does it. Moses is making sure that people understand. God is making sure that we, through Moses, understand that this creative act, this bringing order to the universe is a special activity only by God to do something brand new. A purpose and a goal. And that's what's happening here. God is the subject. Not creation or creating. Chapter 1, chapter 2, 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, Revelation. God is always the subject. And for us here, creation isn't the subject. Creating isn't the subject. God's not trying to get us to understand creation. God is trying to get us to understand Him. God is before all of creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, sometimes I wonder if people overthink things. Y'all are probably thinking that right now, but I may be overthinking it. Um, Does verse 1, this is questions they ask, because of the phrase heavens and the earth, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, does verse 1, is that all by itself? Or does that go with verse 2? Or does verse 2 go with verses 3 and following? Those are questions that guys who have a lot of time on their hands ask. And it's, it's a good question because if you have a Bible that's written in paragraph form, your paragraphs, my paragraphs, I've got verse 1 set apart. And then verse 2 starts another paragraph. Look at yours. I don't know what you have. If you have a new CSB like I'm using, that's probably the way it's written. If you have the NIV, I think it's verses 1 and 2 are a paragraph, and then verse 3 starts as a paragraph. Or you may have an older Bible where it's all verses, so you have no clue where paragraphs are. I'm not a fan of those, but that, that you might have that. Where's the paragraph? And why, Michael, why do paragraphs matter? Because paragraphs tell you complete thoughts. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if heavens and earth mean one thing, it goes with verse 2. And if it means another, it's by itself, and we've got some issues. Well, let me briefly go through this, just, I, mean, re- I promise, briefly. There's this theory that says there's a huge gap between verse 1 and verse 2. It's called the gap theory. They were creative. And it says verse 1 is by itself because verse 1 talks about a former creation that Satan ruined, and now in verse 2, God's doing something new. He is renewing. Kind of goes along with that idea of Barah, right? Doing renewal, or rearranging. Uh, in order for that to be the case, though, for this gap to be between verses, and I'm talking about a time gap, and I'm talking possibly millions and billions of years, because we're bringing our science into the Bible and saying, well, in order to make this science uh, make the Bible fit this science, we have to put a gap here, but if we just don't start there, we start with the Bible, and it's a different question, right? So, i got to make this gap work. Well, no, if, if to make this gap work, verse 2 has to be, uh, instead of now the earth was, it has to be the earth became. It's a totally different verb in verse 2, and it's not became, it's was. So that doesn't work. God didn't make everything and then remade everything, doesn't appear. Good people hold the view. Don't, don't get mad at them. Just don't think it works. Maybe verse 1 is just a summary, right? Let me introduce this topic, Moses is saying, by direction of the Holy Spirit. Let me introduce it. In the beginning, God's crea- God creates... Woo, not God's. Don't take that clip out of context. That was a mistake, not a, not a point. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Big picture. Now let's talk about it. It's possible. But remember, in the beginning implies a middle and an end. So we're talking about something that was happening consecutively. So summary doesn't quite work out. It it goes with verse 2. That's what I'm saying. That's why I'm preaching verses 1 and 2 this morning. That's the complete, I believe, I understand, complete unit of thought. It goes with verse 2, but most folks, a lot of folks, think there's a break between verse 2 and 3. The, not, not a new thought, but that's where it nicely divides. Again, your Bible probably has 1 and then 2 through something. Some Bibles will have 1 and 2 and then 3 through something. I think it's 1 and 2 and then 3 through something. This, this break is pretty widely acknowledged. What does that mean, Michael? Let's get to the point. God created the stuff that he was going to use and and, and bring into order and arrange over the six days. 
In the beginning, God created the raw materials prior to the description of them of bringing it together. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then we get verse 2 explaining what that looked like, which we'll talk about in, in just a second. God created the stuff. He had this and he had that. Who's doing the creating? What was there before God created? Nothing, I mean, except the angels and all that. But yeah, nothing is the correct answer I'm looking for on that particular test. So God did this. And then we get him bringing order. We get him bringing function. Not the source. Not the structure. God's not saying, and this is how I did it. Molecule to molecule. I took carbon atoms and I pushed them together. And I made something uh, that had life out of non-light. No, he's saying... I created all this stuff, but I'm a God of order. Let me tell you how I ordered it, how I organized it. Verse 2, organization. Preparation, verse 1, organization, verse 2. Now the earth was, and how does it describe it? Formless and empty, darkness covered uh, the surface of the watery depths. We could spend a lot of time talking about what all of those things mean we're not going to. Let me give you some uh, nouns and adjectives that uh, go with what we see here. It was chaotic. It was wild. It was apparently useless. It was purposeless. It was discombobulated good one. It was not in opposition to God. Y'all, this ain't no fight. It's not one God against other gods until one wrests control from the other and then does it the way he wants to. No, this is God creating and him telling the people of Israel, when I created, I started with a whole bunch of stuff. Maybe, maybe he's telling them, right now, you're a whole bunch of stuff. You're chaotic. You are wild. You are apparently useless. Apparently purposeless as you wander in the desert. As you wonder when we're going back to the prom- going to get to the promised land. By the way, most of you aren't. It's going to be your kids. As you are absolutely discombobulated. It looks like a mess, doesn't it? But I brought you to the desert. I have you here. I have a purpose and a plan. Let's step way back. And this morning, I'm not going to knock over a music stand. Let's step way back and look. At the Old Testament, the whole point of the, whole, of the Old Testament was to narrow it down to one man. That's where we're getting. And God's telling the people, you are not useless. You're a little chaotic. You're quite wild. And ain't nobody going to deny your discombobulation. But you're not useless. You're not purposeless. I am doing something in you. You can't see it now 2,000 years before I bring that, that person, that baby on Christmas morning to, to you. you. You don't see it the way I see it. But I do. I'm a God of order. You know why? Because I created all this chaos and purposelessness and apparent uselessness it was wild it was crazy it was it was formless and void and the waters just kind of were there but let me tell you what i did the spirit of god me i was there as israel wandered around i know i'm making the camera people crazy this morning Sorry, sorry, sorry. Oh, that one's not looking at me. What went before the Israelites the entire time they were in the wilderness? The God, what? But more, more specifically, 
cloud by day, fire by night. What, was, it, was it God in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a knight's uniform, spear, and, 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 and armor? And all? No, 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 no. It was the Shekinah glory. The glory of God fell on the tabernacle. And, and, and during the day, it was a cloud, because they could see that. And at night, the, the, the cloud, I like the way one of the movies presents it. The cloud lights up like, uh, like the, the, the smoke is burning almost. The Spirit of God. In all the chaos, in all the wildness, apparent purposelessness and uselessness, in all of the discombobulation, where was God? Right there in the middle of it. Why? Because He's always, He tells the people, I've always been in the middle of it. The Spirit of God hovered above the waters. That was not anything I couldn't handle. That was what I did at that time, at that moment. This is the picture, at least, I want you to see of what I was doing. It looked like nothing. Let me tell you how I brought order. Believer, this morning your life looks like nothing. Let me tell you how God can bring order. Let's not go too far. We, we want to make this a Trinitarian passage. Moses knew nothing of the Trinity. God probably was not, it's very likely, I'm going to say he wasn't, he was not introducing the Trinity here when he talked about the Spirit of God. We know who was there. John 1.1 tells us the Son was there. We know the Spirit was there. Now, looking back on that passage, we look at it and say, oh, that Spirit may have been the Holy Spirit, but for them, that was just God's breath, His Spirit, His words, His power, His influence. That was all they needed to know. They didn't call the Shekinah glory, the cloud and the fire, they didn't call that the Holy Spirit either. But they knew it was the Spirit of God. And this verse tells us that that Spirit, the Spirit of God, God Himself, was in control. He hovered over those waters. Not only was he in control, he was in perfect control. That, that word can mean a couple of things, that, that hovering. It, it, can, it can mean uh, a, an eagle soaring, circling. It can also mean uh, a bird hovering over its nest of eggs or chicks. But the picture we get is, is control, maybe one of protection, one of just knowing exactly what it's doing. This chaos, this wildness, this formlessness, this darkness, this void, these were not problematic, nor were they truly chaotic. They were not working against God, and I've already said there were not other gods he had to fight or defeat. He had a perfect plan to bring order to all of that. And our perfect plan we see in the following verses. Three days of realms. He creates space, he creates land, he, or water, he creates land. And then the next three days, he creates the inhabitants of the, those, uh, those spaces, those, those uh, uh, what did I call them? Realms. He puts planets and stars and the sun and the moon in space, and he puts animals in uh, water animals in the water, and he puts the, the vegetation, and, and I, may, I think I have the vegetation in the wrong order, but he puts the animals on the land. He, he puts the inhabitants in those realms. Order was achieved in an orderly fashion because God had a plan. God had a plan for the disorder. God had a plan for the disorder that the Israelites were in at that moment. God has a plan for your disorder. Because we know the rest of the story, right? We know that, that order didn't last. Chapter 3, we're getting there. We see that the order didn't last. Disorder came into God's order. But you know what? God had a plan then. We're going to talk about that Christmas Eve. God had a plan. 
It's wonderful how, I mean, the Genesis account, Genesis 3.15, Christmas Eve, it's, wow. God is still bringing order from our chaos. We, we even learned a, a, an evangelism strategy on it. It's called Three Circles. And we begin with God's design. God had a perfect design. God brought order from chaos. Apparent chaos. God brought order from nothing. Folks, you think your life is nothing, you're wrong. If you think your life is too chaotic for God, you're wrong. He can bring order from both of those things because he's in control of both of those things. God's design was perfect. And then sin entered the equation. And with sin, things got broken. We got more chaos. We got more hardship. We got more discombobulation. We're smart people. Right? We got science and stuff. So we got all the ways we can figure out how to fix our brokenness. We, we've got the self-help books. We, we've got drugs and alcohol. We've got the internets. We've got all the stuff we think we need. We've got all the women or all the men. We've got everything that's broken. Boy, we can fix. And every opportunity we have to try to fix what's broken, we just break it more. That's all those squiggly lines. They lead nowhere except to more brokenness. Every fix we have breaks. Until the God of order brought from creation to Israel. Israel had some problems though, didn't they? There's one God. Well, it sure seems like a bunch. We're going to do this with all the gods. And he says, oh, oh, here comes Babylon. <laughs> one. One person. True order in chaos. The man Jesus. The second person of the Trinity. The gospel that says, though our sins are as scarlet, he will make them white as snow. Come unto me, all who are burdened and heavy laden, who are wild and chaotic, who are purposeless and pointless, who are discombobulated. Come unto me, and I will give you rest. I am the way, the truth, and the life, the gospel. I'm a sinner. Sin has broken my life and very likely the lives of others, like my sin has broken their lives as well. And I need a fix for that sin. I need order. And that order was the cross. I'm not going to use a movie illustration again, even though I think I have a really good one right here. Nah. Do you know how you know how yarn is made? They, you know, they shear the sheep. And it's, it's just hair. It's dirty. They've been living outside and stuff. And then they clean it somehow. And I think they comb it out or straighten it out. And then they take this mass... And long before machines did it for us, at least like mechanical, electric machines, they, they had little hand or foot-driven machines, and, and they would take this mass and, and a thread, just a little thread that you yank on. I mean, you can, you can tear it, but it's tough. From this to this little, I'll say because I don't know any better, perfectly formed That's what God does with our lives. We, we've got this mess of stuff. And God takes it and he sends it through the cross. And we get this one thread. And, and, it's, and it's, it's perfect. And, and, and it's, not, it's not breakable. It's, 
gets frayed sometimes because we sort of wear it out and we do stupid things with it you're not supposed to do with thread. That's the gospel. To experience that, we have to repent and believe. Repent of our sin that caused the brokenness to begin with and believe in Jesus who came and brought salvation. And then we begin to recover and pursue God's design by telling other people, I know your life is chaotic and I know it seems you have no purpose, that you're pointless, but Jesus wants to take your and he wants to clean it and straighten it and do something wonderful with that thread and make a tapestry of design in your life. As you help bring design and purpose to other people's lives as you share the gospel. And that circle just starts again. The God of order wants to take your mess and form it for his purpose. Will you let him do that today? Today could be the beginning of your order. Let's pray. God, is it, incre- it is absolutely incredible the things you can do with nothing, or, or seeming nothing anyway, or, 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 or such a, a chaotic something that we just assume there is no way, and yet you do. By your power, by your grace, by your mercy, because you don't owe us anything. You take a mess of of lives and you, you, you bring order to them by the blood of Jesus. God, we thank you for that. And I pray this morning... That every one of us, we all have disorders in our lives. Believer, unbeliever alike. Lord, if it, you know, as a believer, I, 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 can, just, I can bring you my disorder. I, I know what you've done. I cognitively know what you've done with my life already. Sometimes my heart has to catch up with it, so I bring it to you. But, but I, I, I know you can, you can fix it because you've done it before. But Lord, there are some this morning that don't believe you can fix it. They believe their life is too much chaos. Their life is too much disorder. They are way too discombobulated for you to fix. God, by your Holy Spirit that hovers over them, that draws them to you, let them know that you are a God of order that can bring order to any chaos. Lord, we know we, we, we have a responsibility here to repent and believe. You will do the drawing, but we must choose you. We must believe, as John tells us over and over in his gospel. May they believe this morning and see the working of that strong thread that will be woven into a tapestry of your plan and purpose come from the chaos and mess and filth of their shredded lives. God, do a great work this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So you have a next step to take this morning, a decision that you must make to to take up your cross, to follow him, to, to accept salvation, to be baptized to submit to God, to, to conform to His way, to quit trying to sew the thread into your own garment and let Him do something. Because your, your, your drip's going to be nasty. There we go. That's the look I was looking for. Your clothes aren't going to look good if you try to sew the stuff. Let Him. Let Him do it. Conform to Him. Join our church. Share your decision with us on a card. Let us know in a message. I'm going to be down here to my right. Chelsea will be to my left. We've got three men in the back. Love to pray with you.
Maybe it's just a prayer about your chaos. That's good. Let us help you. Let us pray with you. I can't help you with chaos, but I know who can. Let's talk to him about it. This will be your time to worship through giving as well. You can scan the QR code on the screen, or you can uh, use one of the boxes. Oh, I didn't put that in the, the slides. There's, in the announcement slides, there's a QR code if you want to do that. This is your time to worship, whatever that means this moment, this morning for you. Let's stand. Let's allow God to bring order to our chaos this morning. Thank you.